if you are, have been with us, uh, you know we've been walking through this book for a year. If you're new with us, we have been walking through this book called Core 52 for a year. And uh, what it has provided us is through quarantines and through shutdowns and through meeting together, all the different times the last year has brought to us, it's provided us something to be able to focus on and, and learn together in. And so um, we have been looking at, again, this book is called Core 52. If you're new, I encourage you to get a copy. Um, we can help you with that if you need to. Uh, but it's, it's taken us through 52 different themes, biblical ideas, themes, doctrines, teachings, uh, stories um, that <clears throat> all with the goal of helping each one of us be more biblically informed and uh, be able to know God's word and be confident about God's word and some of the things that it shares. And so we come today um, to a theme that I think is very appropriate for us to finish with. And it's the theme um, from Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, where Jesus gives us the golden rule. Uh, the verse that you probably, whether you knew it was a Bible verse or not, you knew it. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, that teaching is certainly a cultural thing um, as much as a Bible thing. And so we are invited today to finish it by looking at this. And, and I think it is an appropriate way to finish um, for a couple of reasons, but one and most importantly is I think after having gone through 51 different lessons and ideas and themes and doctrines, um, the question then left to you is what kind of person are you? You can know 51 really good and true Bible truths, doctrines, uh, defend them, know how to describe them, but what kind of person are you? And that's what we are left with, with this question. Um, we've finished these last six weeks with a focus on the Sermon on the Mount. And through this, Jesus has emphasized the heart. Um, religious activity is common for all kinds of religious people, but Christians are no different. There are lots of religious things we do. But Jesus has challenged us as we walked through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in these themes, um, and it's challenged us to look at the hearts of where is my heart at in relationship to who God is and what God has done for me. And so um, the danger is for people who know things, know religious truth, to allow it to become a source of pride or distance from others and instead of calling us towards service and justice and concern and help for overlooked people or oppressed people or, or struggling people or hurting people. And so God calls us to stop and think about the question today, what kind of people are we? And so uh, we're going to read more than just Matthew 7, 12. Uh, we're actually going to read through the first 12 verses of that because Jesus in Matthew 7, it's kind of a lot of random kind of proverb kind of feeling verses, um, but I think there's a theme through much of them um, that I want us to pick up on, especially in these 12 verses. And so Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, says this, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrites. For just, for first, excuse me, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Then there's this random weird verse. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before swine, before pigs. Other versions of swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, if you and I, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask of him? And so, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. There are some things from this text that I would simply pray for us as we kind of leave Core 52 and move into uh, um, the things that are coming for Easter. If you want to start reading after Easter, we're going to jump into the book of 1 Corinthians for a time. And so if you want to be reading through that, you can do that. Um, but before we get there, I just want us to stop today and, and use this passage as a thing to uh, uh, to pray for our hearts, uh, to pray for the things that God maybe has taught us through this time and what that would look like afterwards. And so from this passage, I four things that I would pray for us today. The first is this. My prayer is that we would rid our lives of a critical and condemning spirit. Jesus speaks to religious people about the danger of a critical and condemning spirit that is shown in words that tear down and judgmental attitudes and spirits that, that seek to destroy and, and bring down people. And oftentimes I bring down others with harsh and critical and condemning words so that I might lift myself up. There's always that temptation in religious circles to do that because we can, can, we can, can, uh, uh, we can begin to compete with one another when we lose the heart of what this is about. And so it can be easy for us to grow arrogance in our hearts, maybe because we know things or maybe because we think we live well or whatever it might be. Or, or maybe we think that other people live beneath us or, or they're below our standards that we have arbitrarily set for ourselves. But Jesus calls us to take a good long look into our hearts, to identify and to rid our hearts of this conceit and a critical spirit. Now, Jesus is not saying it's wrong to think critically. If you read Matthew 7, several different places, and part of what we even read this morning, Jesus calls you to not just check your mind at the door. There is a place for critical thought. There is a place for evaluating things and deciding whether things are good or right, wrong or wrong, right or wrong, um, to examine things that are being taught to you and said to you in people's lives. There's a place for that. He's not forbidding taking decisive stands on doctrinal things or moral issues and, or, or the person of Christ. In fact, most of Jesus' disciples were martyred because they took a stand on an important thing about who Jesus was. But the context of our passage indicates that we have to give some thought to a heart that lies within us. The Sermon on the Mount has challenged us over and over again. And so when Jesus comes to us and says, judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, it kind of gives us this picture of, of us moving into a seat that we don't belong to, 
to sit in, that we have not earned the right to sit in. The problem here has primarily a critical and condemning spirit that manifests itself in words that attack and tear down and have no desire to lift anybody. They just want to tear others down, usually for the sake of building myself up. And so the criticism of which we are speaking is that which seeks again to put others down while elevating ourselves. It is that smug disdain for those beneath us so that we might feel superior. It's kind of a, a wicked heart. It's a critical spirit. It's, it condemns others for the sake of exalting self. And that's exactly what Jesus was describing in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, when he said, and he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves. You see that conceit in that. And they, that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And so for religious people, it may not happen intentionally, but it's easy to slide into that place where I've done the things, I know the, a lot of the answers, I've done the thing for a long time, and I can just begin to get a smugness about me, a, a conceitedness about me that is not attractive to God, and it's not to others as well. The underlying issue is that as Jesus has gone through the Sermon on the Mount, he continues to talk to scribes and Pharisees. And, and again, they were the, the religious, most religious of the religious. And so he's continually challenging them, saying you need to look deeper than just your outward um, laws and rituals that you keep. Where is your heart at? And so he calls us to examine that. And so... Jesus invites us to, to examine our hearts. You see, the problem with what Jesus is talking about here is summarized in a couple of different statements. One is this, that we take on a role when we assume the seat of, of judge and jury for other people's hearts and souls and lives, that we take on a role that God alone is equipped to handle, and therefore we invite divine judgment. And Jesus warns us that, you know what, you can sit in that seat, but as you begin to pronounce judgments against other people, understand that God watches that and he will hold you to the exact same standard that you hold other people to. And if most of us are honest, we don't live up to our own standards, let alone those of God or, or others around us. And so the danger is, is that we become conceited. James chapter 4 verse 12 warns us, and, and James is a great book that kind of unpacks James and Jesus were brothers, and James unpacks a lot of the Sermon on the Mount in his book. It says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Again, calling us to get rid of conceits and, and contempt for others and, and an attitude of humility ought to characterize our life. And so why is criticism and, and conceitedness a problem? Well, it's wrong because it arises out of impure motives. My motives in, in this passage are not to help people. I'm not here to lift people or, or to deal with problems in someone's life so that I might help them. Jesus is coming at this from the perspective of my motives are wrong. I'm judging from the place of, of criticizing and tearing down. My motives are simply to make another one look less so that I might look more righteous in my own eyes. Criticism is wrong it's because it's, our perspective is distorted. And that's where you get to verses 3, 4, and 5 where Jesus uses, and that crowd probably would have chuckled a little bit, when Jesus talks about the speck that's in one person's eye versus the log that resides in your own. And it's easy to do this for us. It's easy to find specks, right? We can all look at other people's lives and find flaws. But it's a lot more uncomfortable and painful 
to find the logs in our own life. And so we reject, reject that. And so Jesus would say, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Our perspective is off, right? As I look at everybody else and can find their problems while never looking at my own, Jesus says, there's a problem with your perspective because you're looking through logs and you're not seeing clearly. So how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye in the way? And then he uses that painful word that you never want to hear Jesus say to you, you hypocrites. You first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so Jesus invites us um, to reject that, to get rid of that spirit of conceit and a critical spirit and a condemning spirit that can easily develop in the life of religious people, of faith practicing people if we don't continue to monitor the hearts. And so my prayer for us as we journey from this into other things is that we would be constantly engaged in a heart examination process. That we would constantly be coming back to God and say, God, what's in my heart first? Again, God is not about are rejecting the idea of helping a brother who has a speck in his eye. That is a part of this. He says, hey, that's a good thing when we're helping each other with the specks in our eyes and we're, we're growing together and we're maybe correcting one another even, but we're helping each other with good motives and all for the sake of being better in Christ. But what he's calling us to reject is this, I'm fine and the problems are all with you kind of spirit that can get caught up in religious-minded people if we're not careful. So my prayer for us today is that we would reject that, that we would rid our hearts of that conceit, of that critical, condemning kind of heart, which always comes out in words and actions and even the look of the eye toward other people. But there's a second thing Jesus does. So he warns us about, well, be careful about coming down too hard on people, judging people. And so the temptation is, well, I'm just going to pull back here and I'm not going to try anything. But then the second thing in verse six, there's this weird verse that Jesus talks about dogs and hogs. And you think, well, what in the world does Jesus have to say about dogs and hogs? And what does that have to do with my spiritual life? What is, was this a verse I should write in my refrigerator? Or what is this verse? I don't get this one. And so really what he's calling us, I think, is that may we learn to be discerning. I think discernment is really the thing that he is calling us to. And that what Jesus is speaking to is that on one extreme, we can be so judgmental and harsh and critical and condemning with our words. But on the other hand, we can be so persistent, maybe nagging is the word towards people. Um, and maybe there are people that you love that you want so much to, to know God and to love God. And we all have those folks, those situations in our life. And the temptation can be that we just continue to, to nag and nag and nag. Um, but Jesus calls us that there's a place of discernment. And so when he uses the phrase hogs and dogs in this verse 6, he says, Do not give do dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. He's really the, the picture and the summarized phrase of this. Um, he's talking about people who have ample information concerning the way of righteousness and who have stubbornly rejected it. They are hardened in their rebellion and unbelief and to persistently witness to them or berate them um, is a waste of energy. And so Jesus is calling us to a level of discernment to say, you know what, there comes a place where, you know what, I've said everything I can say, 
And Jesus demonstrated this. In, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus, there's a situation where Jesus sends his disciples out two by two into the villages and surrounding towns to, to preach about Jesus and to tell about the kingdom. And so they go, but he gives them this instruction as they go. And whenever you go to a town, whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake off the dust of your feet. It's kind of a way of saying, I've done what I can do. This is between you and God now. I have done what I can do. And in fact, you find if you read the book of Acts, you'll find Paul doing this all the time. His heart was for his Jewish brothers and sisters. And so he would always, when he went to a new city to plant a new church, he would always start with the Jews. And some of them would believe, others would reject, oftentimes angrily reject him. And Paul would say, fine, I have done what I am called to do is present to you the truth. And so now I'm going to others. And so there's that discerning thing. And, and I don't know how this applies. This is a hard one to apply to our life. But there is a place for this, a, a prayer for discernment. Um, so on the one hand, we're called not to be too overly critical and judgmental. But we're also called to be discerning. And so that leads us to this weird tension of like, well, what do I do? Do I open my mouth? Do I not say anything? What do I do? And that leads to the third thing Jesus says. And it's my third prayer for us. That we would pursue God. And we would always pursue God over just practicing religion. Because in verses 7 through 11, he switches to the alternative. Instead of just always judging and condemning people with our words. Or just resisting and not saying anything at all. And there's this weird tension he leaves us with. There's another conversation that he offers us, and it's a conversation with your heavenly father. It's a conversation in which I don't know how to deal with all the broken things and the specks in people's eyes, and I've said what I can say, and I don't know how to fix this or break down walls and this thing. And, and so what's left for us to do is, I think, is to pray. That God says, come and, and talk to me. And so in verses six or 7 through 11, um, you can find these words. He says, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so you get this idea that there's this open invitation that God is hungry for us to continually walk in relationship and conversation with him. And then he goes on in the eight, verses 9 through 11 to just remind us that, that God's heart for us towards you is, is good. In this illustration of a father or, or a parent and his, and his or her kids. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? In other words, if, if your kid comes to you and says, hey, can I have something good? You're not going to give him something bad on the flip side if you're a decent parent. If you then, he says, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so he comes to the goodness of God. In the earlier verse, he talks about the openness of God, the desire for God to be talking to us. Now, that begs the question. Jesus doesn't say, what are we supposed to ask, seek, and knock for? Well, what am I doing? Is it all the things that I want? What am I supposed to ask God for? Well, conveniently enough, Matthew chapter 7 comes on the heels of Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. And there are things that Jesus has already talked about prayer in those chapters. Remember Matthew chapter 5? What did he say we are hungry for? What do we want? That blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what am I asking and seeking and knocking on the doors of heaven for? God, would you work out righteousness in my life? 
Would you help that to be a trait and a, and a thing that I grow in, to be more righteous, to be more right with God and more growing in that relationship and, and doing right in the world around me? And then you come to Matthew 6, and lo and behold, Jesus gives you a list of six, seven things that are good things for you to be praying for, to ask, seek, and knock on the door of heaven for. Um, it's, God, would your name be made holy? God, in my life, I ask, I seek, I knock. And those are words of persistence, like ongoing things. God, would you make your name holy through my life? And God, would your kingdom come and your will be done and so that everything I see on this earth looks like it is in heaven, that I would obey you like they obey you in heaven, that, that I would help other people to learn to do that. And God, would you give me this day my daily bread? And God, would you forgive me my debts? And again, note, he kind of echoes that whole judgment theme. God, would you forgive me? And how do I learn to forgive all of those people that in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, I'm having trouble with a critical spirit? Well, help me to forgive, forgive my debts as I forgive those who have debts against me. And God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And so the Lord's Prayer gives us a model of what am I asking and seeking and knocking for? Now, I may come to God, and, and there are other things I can certainly pray for, and you can as well. Real needs in your life and hurts and struggles, those are good things to pray for. But if all I pray for is what I want and my kingdom and my needs and my desires, and I never am praying for God's holiness and God's righteousness and God's name to be done and God's will to be done, then I've missed a little bit of this. Because I can guarantee you, when you come and ask God, would your name be made holy, God will answer that prayer. God wants that as much as you ever will, more so actually, when you pray for his kingdom to come and his will for his be done and, and for forgiveness to be given and for temptation to be resisted. God wants that for you. And so I don't think this is a request or a verse that's meant that you should be always asking, God, make me healthy and wealthy and everything comfortable. I don't think that's what, that's not a kingdom prayer. A kingdom prayer is, God, your name be holy and your will be done and, and all of those things from the Lord's prayer. And so what I think God wants to do is he wants us to give more and more of himself. So I'm asking and seeking and knocking for things that are going to bring more of God in my life. And I think that because if you read Luke's version of this same passage in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to give you more of himself. And so what is the number one thing God wants you to be asking and seeking and knocking for? It's just more of him. And so sometimes we come to God and we just want things from him. We don't really want him, right? I just want you to fix my things, God. I, just want, I want your things. I just don't want you because you're complicated and your will and my will don't always match up. And, and I love the statement this week that if you read the Core 52 chapter, Mark Moore made a statement about what do you call it when a person comes and does religious things before God, but their heart is far from God? What do you call that? You call that a bribe. You call it a bribe. That God, I don't want you. I just want your stuff. And so I'll do religious things so I can get what I want from you, but I don't want to give you, really surrender and give you my heart. But Jesus is asking us, inviting us, and my prayer for us is that we would always pursue God over just practicing religious things. There's a long list of religious things you can be involved in, but I hope that behind them and before them and around them 
is always an honest pursuit of God from your life and from my life. And so God invites us to pursue him more than we do religious things. And again, religious things are fine. They have their place, but they're worthless. In fact, they're detestable to God apart from a heart that is pursuing after him. And that leads us to the last thing. And really, if I was, I debated all week, um, I almost just read you the chapter because this is my favorite point and this is the one that I probably should have just done it and got you out of here 15 minutes ago and you all would have loved me more. Um, but this is the one that I, I just read it Monday. This is what I came camped on and, and this is the one that for me convicted me and challenged me the most. May the goodness of God be experienced by those who need it most through us. That may the goodness of God be experienced by those who need it most through us. Now, where does the goodness of God come into that? You'll notice at the beginning of verse 12, the word so. Maybe your translation has therefore. And anytime you see that word therefore in your Bible, you need to ask the question, what's that therefore, therefore, right? Because it's going back to something that's just been said. And what has just been said is that the goodness of God poured out into the lives of his kid. He wants to give himself to his kids. And so Jesus echoes that, the, the uh, golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is not just out of nowhere. It's out of the context of God's goodness poured out in the lives of his kids, and so do unto others as you would want them to do to you. There's a context there. So may the goodness of God be experienced by those who need it most. And it's that little phrase that I, I think I want us to finish with. By those who need it, by those who need it most through us. Um, when Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Um, if you did your reading this week, you, you know that he talked about a silver rule that existed prior to Jesus' words, right? Jesus was not the first one to say a phrase like this. People like Confucius, there was a, a Hebrew book called the Tobit. Uh, Hillel was a teacher in Jewish culture. And they all had statements, except they didn't have the word do. They used the word don't, right? Don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you, right? That's a good parenting thing. I've told my kids that a hundred times. Don't want your sister to hit you. Don't hurt her. Don't hit her, all right? That don't principle works at a lot of levels. It's a good rule. It gets you along okay in life. But Jesus changed don't to do. And that changes the way you look at your faith. And so my question for you this morning is, do you have a do or a don't kind of faith. And I don't want to isolate them and make it as if they're either ors. They, they go together, but they both need to be a part of your faith walk, your faith experience. Do you have a do or a don't kind of faith? I'll be honest, I am pushed in my conscience towards a don't kind of faith. And you're reading this week, he said this, that if don't is the leading driver in your life, then you're going to be push towards an isolationist kind of life. Mark Moore said this, when personal morality is our motivation, we tend to be isolationists. Isolationists avoid bars so they won't drink. They avoid neighbors who swear. They avoid inner cities where crime and drugs are rampant. The means of morality is avoiding sinners who become stumbling blocks. Now again, there's a place for don'ts, all right? This isn't about just go live it up, live it up, okay? This isn't about that. But there is a place for don'ts but is there a place for do, which is a different experience of faith? 
It's the do that drives me to say, where are the needs? Where are the vulnerable? Where is the injustice? Where is oppression? Where are things that are broken? Who is hurting in my world? And I am going to go do goodness there. Not just practice goodness by, I'm not going to do these certain things. Those are two different experiences of faith. The Bible speaks to that. James chapter 1, verse 20. Lots, lots of religious activity. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then this beautiful, familiar verse, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And then he gets to do's. Do justice. Love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. He calls us to have a doing kind of faith. I look for, I engage in, I try to make a difference in whatever ways I can, big and little. So again, Micah echoes in the Old Testament prophets, and there's others, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now again, sacrifice is not of that, but a heart that is engaged in real worship it's going to do the sacrifice, but the sacrifice is going to drive to say, how can I allow the goodness of God to be experienced in the lives of those who need it most through me? Isaiah chapter one, Isaiah drives this home firmly. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. So there's this problem. Their hearts are far from God but they're doing all these religious things. And so he calls them to change. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. There's a don't, but there's also a do. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected to do the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So do you have a don't or a do kind of faith? I hope there are places in your life where, where that do is leading you to see who can I help? Where can the goodness of God be shown through my life and the life of someone who needs it most through me? And so we're called to do that. We're called to look to find ways to show the goodness of God through our life. And so a few years ago, um, at a practical level of this, um, I have something I want you to pray about. 
A few years ago, a tornado went through here. I remember those good times, all right? Tornado went through here, ripped up a bunch of things, and it flipped off the roof of, not flipped off, flipped over. That's a bad thing. It, uh, it flipped over the roof of the duplex. Sorry, it may have done that too, but it flipped over the roof of the duplex across the street onto the house behind it, leaving just walls. And so that whole summer went by and a couple of sales fell through. And so at the end of that summer, we were able to buy that property at a pretty cheap rate, relatively Speaking, we put a roof on it and uh, didn't know what we'd do with it. We had plans, we had different ideas, we've kicked around. Over the last several months, we have begun to pray and ask, well, God, what could we do to serve people with that building? And so we have begun conversations with a local organization who um, is doing exactly what we're talking about here, who is showing the goodness of God um, to those who need it most um, through their organization. And so we have begun conversations with them about maybe using that property in partnership with them. I can't give you all the details now. There's lots of details to be worked through, but what I ask for you now to do is that you would join us as leaders in praying for God, what would you have us to do that? Would you put all the details together? Would you help us to have the plan that this is the right thing to do? Um, and, um, and so, I just would ask that you would pray for that in the uh, days, weeks, months to come. And we'll talk more about that as more things come to fruition. Um, but just be praying for that. Because our goal is this, is that the goodness of God would be experienced by those who need it most through us. And so I think one of the greatest tragedies, there's lots of them probably, but uh, one of them is to reach the end of your life. To get to the end of your life and you've lived around Christian things your whole life, but you did so with conceit and a self-centeredness and a focus on selfish comforts and just self-service. To claim to follow Jesus of Nazareth, but to do so with a pride-filled heart while the vulnerable around you go unnoticed and unserved is to betray the very nature of the servant Jesus that we claim to know. And so I just, as we leave this today, I just would, my prayer that our heart would just be in the right place, that we would rid our lives of critical and condemning spirits, that we would come as one beggar to another beggar in this world, because that's what we are before God. And that we would learn to be discerning and that those situations, when I, do I speak, do I stop speaking? What do I do? I, all of that kind of gets lost in this pursuit of God. That as we seek God, and I don't know the answers, and I don't know the solutions, and I don't know the hows and the whens and the whys and the whats, but I can ask, seek, and knock a God who knows all those things. And as I make his name famous and holy through my life, and as I seek to allow his will to be done in my life, he takes care of so many of those things through our life. And most of all, that the goodness of God would be experienced by those who need it most through you and through me and through us. And so that's my prayer for us as we leave Core 52, um, that our hearts, our minds hopefully are full of lots of good things we've learned, but most importantly that our hearts leave in the right place. And so let's pray and ask God's help in that, please. Lord God, we come and we ask today that you hear these prayers. Father, it is so easy for anger and pride and change and all the things that go on around us to create a criticalness and a conceitedness and um, it's easy to allow that to come out through our words, our actions. So Lord, um, rid our hearts of that spirit. 
Lord, would you also help us in those areas of discernment where we don't always know what to say or when to say or when to push or when to pull back. And, um, and so we come just seeking you. We ask and we seek and we knock that just the kingdom would lead us in our life and that as we follow that you're just gonna lead us and help us through so many of those um, things that are tough to navigate. And Lord, it's our prayer that because we have been blessed with the knowledge of God and, and knowing Christ and, and knowing who he is and the blessing of having a relationship with him, that that goodness of knowing him would just be able to flow through us into the life of another person or a group of people um, in a way that would bless them and help them to know the goodness of God through us. God, may that never be a prideful thing. May it never be about us and what people will think of us, but may it always be about making your name holy and allowing people to know the goodness and the greatness of Christ and his Father. And so, Lord, just lead us. and We just ask that you would examine and lead our hearts to the place where the main thing, which is knowing you and living out a relationship with you, is the main thing. And so, Father, lead us back to that today as we leave here. And we thank you for Christ who makes this possible. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.